dam project and it will be moving ahead. The premier was emotional at times, calling it, as you saw, a difficult decision, but ultimately he said canceling it would cost British Columbians much more in the long run. Ted Chernecki explains what the decision means to BC. There's no stopping the now $10.7 billion Site C dam near Fort St. John. Today, work continues on a project the NDP says has reached the point of no return. And in saying so, it shows the very location former Premier Christy Clark used to announce Site C in the first place. Canceling the project would mean a $4 billion hit, an unavoidable $4 billion hit, immediately, either on BC Hydro's books or on the books of the Minister of Finance. The consequences of that would be a 12% rate increase almost immediately. And you'd get nothing for it. Site is the most expensive project BC Hydro has ever undertaken. It's already $1.6 billion over budget, and there are no guarantees the final bill won't soar higher. For this reason, environmentalists and some native groups expressed their outrage at the NDP's decision today. It's such colossal hypocrisy to talk about um, reconciliation and... Uh, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and then in the next breath uh, begin a very lame uh, rationalization. We're inviting the Premier and key ministers involved in the Site C decision to attend our summit and explain how they reached their decision in the face of all the evidence that cancellation will be better for the climate, jobs, our food security, right relations, and our pocketbooks. The Premier spoke repeatedly about the difficulty of this decision, the divisiveness at all levels, even on the home front. Well, my spouse, uh, Ellie, believed that, uh, that the uh, lo values lost were greater than, uh, than the values gained. Uh, I explained to her the, the challenges that I faced. Uh, my brother, uh, uh, this one as well. Businesses and trade unions in general applauded today's decision, agreeing there should be no stopping Site C. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, as you just saw, it was a tough decision, one with serious consequences, no matter which way it went. Keith Baldry now with more on the political cost and the fallout we could see in the months ahead. There's a lot of British Columbians right now who are very upset, as <laughs> is our caucus who uh, feel betrayed. Green Party leader Andrew Weaver is furious that Site C is going ahead. But even so, he won't play his ultimate card, bringing down the NDP government over it. Does this mean that we're going to topple government? No. I've said that, I've signaled that publicly for quite some time. But does it mean we're going to take a very hard, hard look at the finances come this February? Yes. And the Premier acknowledged some of his political allies are going to be upset with his government's decision. I'm fairly confident, although uh, Mr. Weaver and his colleagues disagree with us on this decision, that it won't have an impact on the long-term viability of the government. I'm firmly convinced of that. Environmental activists have been on-again, off-again allies of the NDP, and they're definitely off today. I do not accept this affront to human rights. I do not accept this squandering of the birthright of my kids and my grandkids. But there is another important constituency that likes the decision, the business community. From a business perspective, this just means we have that uh, guaranteed access to affordable, reliable power that allows our, our businesses here in B.C. to compete in international markets. Meanwhile, the relationship between the Greens and the NDP is now seriously strained, but by no means broken. We've been criticized for being the green tail wagging the orange dog. Here's an example where the green tail is trying to wag that orange dog and that orange dog isn't listening. So frankly, I think the people of BC are the ones who need to hold them to account for this.
All right, Keith joins us now with more on the fallout from the announcement today. Uh, Keith, Andrew Weaver is also talking about potential recall campaigns, yep. at least a couple, uh, against a couple of cabinet ministers. But what's the likelihood those would succeed? Well, he, he called out uh, Michelle Mungo, the energy minister, and Lana Popham, the agriculture minister, as possibly the targets for recall campaigns. Uh, it's not going to work. Uh, we've tried recall a number of fronts in the past. The bar is set very high. You've got to get 40% of the voters in each individual riding to sign a petition within 60 days. That's, uh, t- uh, in terms of Michelle Mungo, that's about 12,000 people. Uh, Lana Popham, probably about 15,000 people. Pretty high bar. I think things are going to calm down. Other issues will come to the fore, like Kinder Morgan, to replace Site C as the hot-button controversies around B.C. All right, Keith, thanks for that. The federal government has reached a deal on pot tax revenue. The Fed's agreeing today to split marijuana revenue 75% to 25%, with provinces receiving the largest share. The original model proposed a 50-50 split, but provinces pushed back hard. Ottawa's initial estimates suggest tax revenue from marijuana sales could reach $1 billion a year. The Crown has filed an appeal of a B.C. Supreme Court decision to stay charges against Jamie Bacon in connection to the Surrey Six murders. The B.C. Prosecution Service announcing today it is asking the province's Court of Appeal to set aside the stay and order a new trial. Jamie Bacon was accused of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit the murder of 21-year-old Corey Lowell. Bacon remains in custody on a separate charge of counseling the murder of an individual connected to the case. That trial is scheduled to begin in April. And we now know one person lost their life in a fire in Cumberland over the weekend. The blaze broke out in a 100-year-old home early Saturday morning and quickly spread to the homes on either side. It's believed the victim was in his 70s. Two other people were rescued from one of the other homes and the third house was unoccupied. It's not known at this point how that fire started. Vancouver's policy to build more rentals in the city is under fire tonight. A few years ago, the city approved zoning on a new building, counting the units towards cities, the city's targets for increasing market rentals. But it turns out those units don't appear to be for local families. Tanya Beja has the details on this one. And Tanya, critics say it's more evidence the city has to do a much better job of policing these projects. Yeah, that's right, Chris. One Vancouver City councillor says the rental units coming available here are not at all what she voted for. The Richard Street rentals offer housekeeping and hotel-like amenities, fully furnished for stays as short as one month. This is not for the local market. This is not solving the housing affordability crisis in this in this city. The building known as Level was built by Ani and is ready for move-in early next year. On Craigslist, a 450-square-foot unit renting at $5,400 a month, $6,600 for a two-bedroom. It's unaffordable for most people. You know, we had a mayor, sadly, that was promising us affordable housing for first responders. Do you think first responders can live here? Not a chance. Yeah, that's okay. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad, I guess. Yeah. When the city approved the rezoning, granting extra density to the developer, city staff counted the 130 rental suites as helping meet Vancouver's rental housing targets. They wrote, The provision of rental housing advances a significant housing policy goal of the city since rental housing is affordable to a broader range of household income. Councillor Adrian Carr says there was never any mention the units would operate like an extended stay hotel. I would absolutely have not approved it. 
Earlier this year, Ani paid a $24,000 fine for hosting nightly rentals at its Seymour Street rental building. Ani did not return our call, but a representative of the level told us units won't be rented for less than a month at a time, and that is perfectly legal. One thing we can do, and one thing I will push for, is a change in our bylaws that close this loophole. Well, yeah, what could the city be doing better, Tanya? Well, first of all, Carr says she's planning to introduce a motion encouraging the city to keep better track of rentals once they're approved so that councillors can find out what happens once the unit's complete. Uh, she also wants the city to change any future housing agreements with developers so that minimum tenancies are much longer than one month. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Tanya. More tonight on a very hot topic at this time of the year, hailing a taxi, not just getting one, but having it take you where you want to go. The passenger transportation branch is now investigating an incident over the weekend where a driver was caught on video refusing to take a man from downtown Vancouver to New Westminster because it was too far. Ramina Dea joins us now with more on this. Ramina, we've heard stories like this in the past. It just fuels the frustration about the lack of transportation options. Sophie, you're right. This issue has vexed the public for years, and that frustration was finally caught on camera on Friday night. You don't want to drive me because it's too far? Too far, man. Right, because you're not going to make that much money? Yeah. yeah. And that's why you're... What, what company do you work? Now, Kuldeep Gill shot the video over the weekend in Vancouver. He says the taxi driver refused to take him to New West because it was too far and he'd make more money downtown. Now, the driver has a different version okay. of events, but he's been suspended. And as you mentioned, Sophie, the passenger transportation branch is now investigating. Now, the public says penalties are not going to address the crux of the problem. Passengers say ride sharing is long overdue. Now, Uber tells us that more than 400,000 locals and visitors have tried to access its app, but they can't. To the company, this is a public safety issue. Not having transportation at the end of a Christmas party available to you is a safety problem. Uber is available in more than 40 municipalities across Canada, and our average wait times at all times of day is under five minutes. So that's why Mad Canada wanted to partner with Uber to increase the awareness and the availability of this option that you don't need to drive, you don't need to, to get behind the wheel, you simply need to press a button on your app and a reliable ride will come pick you up and get to where you need to be safe and sound. Now, the NDP has hired an independent expert to review ride-sharing in BC, but it's still in the discussion phase, so hopefully next year, but uh, no hard date has been set. Sophie. All right, we'll see what happens. Rumina, thank you. A special tribute to a fallen Abbotsford police officer. A sign and a painted police-only parking spot now marks the place where Constable Davidson was gunned down in the line of duty. The sign includes both his policing numbers from Abbotsford as well as when he was an officer in Northumbria in the United Kingdom. It's not easy to find a family doctor accepting new patients in B.C. And tonight, another reason to stay healthy. A new report indicates the shortage is about to get even worse. Aaron MacArthur explains why and which areas will be hit the hardest. It's a constant refrain in the healthcare system. Too many people end up in the emergency room or in a walk-in clinic. Because let's face it, too many people don't have access to a family physician. Trying to get one closer to where I live and it's impossible, so... Really? Yeah. So you make a commute to go see your doctor? Yes. 
you like a family physician? Yeah. You'd like to see somebody regular? Of course, yeah. I would. Yes, I would. I think she's still my family doctor, but, but she's getting up there, so I don't know what happens when she retires. <laughs> the list of open jobs in BC is enormous. 500 doctors could move to this province tomorrow and find work. Uh, a big part of the problem? Demographics. A new report published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal says a huge chunk of physicians are right near retirement. There's about 40% of physicians are actually over age 55. Um, so you, we are looking at quite a large number that could be retiring in the next few years based on the study that we did. According to billing data, the average doctor in BC retires earlier than reported at 65. Rural doctors, two years earlier than that. And women, four years earlier. Doctors of BC say the workload in the interior plays a major role. As a rural doctor, I can tell you that the thing that tires you out is the fact that we mostly work in the hospitals too and we do night call. Both doctors of BC and researchers agree more needs to be done to enhance care for patients. One idea that continues to be talked about is moving away from the traditional fee-for-service model. Rather than focusing on, uh, on things like fee adjustments, what we need to do is start looking at more structural change to better support physicians who want to enter practice in an alternative model. About 15% of British Columbians don't have access to a regular family physician. A wave of retirement from baby boomer doctors will only make the problem more acute. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Right now, though, a charge of animal cruelty has been laid against a man from Lanceville near Nanaimo after his dog was nearly killed by a severe flea infestation. The SPCA says Rascal, a senior terrier, had lost about 85% of his blood to fleas when he was seized from owner Gary Kenneth Bob. Rascal received emergency blood transfusions and is now recovered and is thriving at his new home. The SPCA says it wants to highlight the fact that fleas don't just cause itching and skin irritations, they are a serious threat to the health and well-being of our pets. An unusual partnership aimed at helping an endangered species has arisen out of last year's double tragedy at the Vancouver Aquarium. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the death of the aquarium's two belugas is kick-starting research to unlock some of the secrets in the beluga genome. It was a frantic and desperate time for Vancouver Aquarium staff when just over a year ago their mother and daughter beluga whales, Aurora and Keela, became acutely and inexplicably ill. At this time we've got uh, two whales um, passing away, exact same clinical signs and unfortunately no idea what was going on. A call for help was sent out to experts around the world. Here at home, BC Cancer's Genome Sciences Centre was among those that reached out. I emailed um, the chief vet, Martin, um, at the aquarium and I said, well, I think we've got some technology that could help and determine what's happening to these whales. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, of course, whatever you need. From the tissue samples provided, they sequenced as much DNA as they could, looking for the presence of a disease causing bacteria or virus. Ultimately, we, we found that we could find no trace of, of any virus or pathogen that might have been causing the disease. Through a process of elimination, it was determined that a toxin must have killed the whales. The research might have ended there, but it didn't. We now had a very comprehensive picture of the DNA of the beluga. So we decided that, that we would take all these kind of jigsaw pieces and put them together into one complete genome. A proposition that would cost $25,000, money the funding agency Genome BC was more than happy to put up. 
there is all this um, potential for conservation, understanding evolution, uh, understanding pathogens. It's the first time the entire genome of a beluga whale has been sequenced. And thanks to advances in technology... We actually think now this is the best um, genome for a whale um, that now exists. So that should help all, all whale researchers. This means that Aurora and Keela's legacy are going to live on. They are going to be the template for all future genetic work with beluga. And that's, that's awesome. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. B.C. bird watchers are flocking to a West Vancouver home to see a bird that is way out of its element. It's just magic. It's pure magic. It's called a summer tanager, part of the cardinal family, and it usually makes its home in the southern U.S. Sometimes ventures... <laughs> Was it my pun? Is that what set you off? <laughs> it sometimes enters as far north as Iowa, which would put this bird more than 2,000 kilometers away. You've got to do the rest of this. <laughs> you got it. You got it. The local birding community says this is the sixth time a summer tanager has been recorded in B.C. and the first time for Metro Vancouver. And it's drawing birders from far and wide. Uh, at this time of year, the little guy should be in Mexico. He's a long way from home. So the thing is, it's a first-year uh, male. And uh, anyway, he's lost. <laughs> it's just thrilling for me. I was out there all day Saturday and Sunday chatting with people and just seeing the joy as well, you know, because I'm, I'm a birder. I'm not as avid as some people, but I, it just filled me with so much joy. Summer tanagers mostly migrate to Mexico, Central America, and South America, but have been seen as far away as Western Europe. It's really a shame that was not on camera. <laughs> Glad you recovered. So there's a. Here's your first look at a rare Emily Carr painting that hasn't been publicly shown for more than a century. It's called Le Paysage, one of two Carr paintings presented at a prestigious art exhibition in Paris back in 1911. It was purchased by Polygon Homes chairman Michael O'Dane. It was a pivotal point in her career uh, because what she learned uh, in Paris and in the countryside uh, you know, affected everything that she did uh, after 1911. The painting will be put on permanent display at O'Dane's Whistler Gallery next week. They have many Emily Carr uh, works of art there, so you'll enjoy that one. So this guy, a Toronto-area businessman, is under fire tonight, accused of harassing women at the most vulnerable and stressful time of their lives. As Global's Sean O'Shea reports, he's accused of badgering widows while trying to sell them a tombstone with some of the alleged abusive behavior caught on tape. Losing a loved one is one of the most stressful times in somebody's life. My husband died very suddenly. Darrell Hunt's husband died 10 years ago. My husband died last July. Two women with something in common, aside from their friendship. And as soon as I heard the voice, I said, is that William Tunstead? It's Bill Tunstead from William Tunstead Monument County Calling. How are you doing? Both were hounded by the same aggressive tombstone salesman in the weeks after their husbands died. He didn't want to take no for an answer. I don't call this professional, and I think it's a discredit also to the entire funeral industry. He was very, you know, aggressive, almost rude, and it was like uh, very condescending. William Tunstead runs a monument company with the same name. His stated philosophy is treat people the way I wish to be treated myself. You're a waste of time, lady. 
When Tunstead called Joan Felkai recently, her answering machine kicked in, and the call was recorded. I had to think about it. Yep. Joan wasn't buying, despite pressure. Oh, I thought you were going to do that. He wouldn't leave me alone and make, made me feel very, very guilty. Tunstead called her several times, just as he badgered Darrell Hunt. You know, it was very um, aggressive, and, um, and then the more you turned him down, the um, more abrupt he became. Then on the last call to Joan, she hung up, but the phone was still connected as he voiced his displeasure. Not the words any customer expects to hear. It was just, it was shocking. We tracked down William Tunstead. I'm Sean O'Shea, I'm the Consumer Investigator at Global News, to ask him about his tactics and that phone call. Do you remember saying, oh, off your hole, you're just a retard, a waste of time, go off, you're a moron, you're a waste of time lady? Do you remember you saying that to her? No, I don't really appreciate the way you're approaching this. Tunstead didn't comment on the call or how he sells tombstones to those recently bereaved. Is that the way you do business? I don't push people. Joan and Darrell say this is one sales pitch to be avoided. I just feel there's an obligation to sort of expose this so he won't be dealing with other more vulnerable people this way. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Surveillance video shows the moment a man detonates a pipe bomb strapped to his body in a New York subway walkway in what authorities are calling an attempted terror attack. No one was killed, but at least four people were hurt. The most serious injuries to the bomber himself. The suspect identified as a 27-year-old immigrant from Bangladesh, who investigators say was inspired by ISIS. <laughs> A suicide bomber at rush hour in the New York City subway. We have a report of an explosion and some sort of suspicious device. A nightmare scenario. It was just a big explosion. The impact of the explosion just pushed everybody around. 7.20 a.m. in a crowded subway tunnel. Police say this surveillance video shows 27-year-old Akayat Ulad detonating explosives strapped to his body. The device is based on a, a pipe bomb. It was uh, affixed to his person with a combination of uh, Velcro and zip ties. Moments after the blast, the would-be suicide bomber could be seen on the ground. Burns to his body. Commuters scattered for cover between Times Square and the bustling Port Authority bus station, one of the busiest underground crossroads in Manhattan. Everybody just ran to the closest exit up the stairs. We have seen ambulances also on the street and underground. The Monday morning rush came to a standstill. Three people suffered minor injuries, while Ula was taken into custody and hospitalized in serious condition. The Bangladeshi citizen who was living in Brooklyn told police he carried out the attack in the name of ISIS, according to a senior law enforcement official. The attack comes less than two months after an Uzbek man plowed into a bike path in lower Manhattan, killing eight people and injuring 11. Tonight, the governor announced heightened security measures across the state, including airports, bridges, and mass transit systems. By the day's end, the subway and buses were back up and running. You still can't have any fear. you got to keep doing what you're doing every day. Many commuters thinking the same thing. It could have been a lot worse. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York.
Still no end in sight to California's Thomas Fire, now the fifth largest wildfire in the state's history. First night, it, it, it burned five miles in, in, in less than three hours. The fire has already burned nearly 100 square kilometers, close to the size of the city of Vancouver, and it has destroyed more than 750 homes and other structures. It's only 15 percent contained. The fire has reached Santa Barbara County, forcing thousands more mandatory evacuations. Forecasters are expecting strong winds in the next few days, with gusts of up to 80 kilometers an hour. This area has not had any significant rain since February. In Health Matters tonight, a young patient suffering simply because the drugs he needs are too expensive. One Vancouver Island mom is sharing the story of her six-year-old living with a rare form of arthritis. As Nitu Garcha reports, she's hoping to pressure the province into paying for an extremely expensive medicine that could take his pain away. I want a hippopotamus. These are moments Jillian Lanthier and her son cherish because for a little while, Landon can forget about his pain. The six-year-old has a rare disease. It's called systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis. It hurts so much. It's taken away his energy and left him suffering with rashes, constant fevers, swelling and painful joints. My sore legs, I had to use my walker lots. In lots and lots. In late May, Landon came home from school with what was thought to be a sprained ankle. Three days later, he was rushed to hospital with a severe fever and unable to move his limbs. After almost two weeks of testing, he was diagnosed. It has flipped our world upside down. If that wasn't struggle enough for this single mother of four, the treatment costs more than $220,000 a year. It's called Canny Kinemab, and it isn't covered under Pharmacare. I've laid awake at night and at the end of the day I don't think many Canadians have the financial means to cover a medication um, at $19,000 a month. Lanthier's written to the province for help. She started a GoFundMe page and created a video appeal with Landon's story. Seeing a disease like that take over your child's body is really hard. I also never thought I would be in a situation where I was basically begging the B.C. government to fund a medication for my son. This Victoria woman's son, a year younger than Landon, he too was diagnosed with the same disease this summer, but he's thriving. Thanks to private insurance, his monthly doses of canikinimab are covered. If there is this medication out there uh, that seems to be really helping children, then why should all children not have equitable access? The province says it's aware of Landon's case and is looking further into it. In the meantime, he says he knows what he has to do. When you get needles, be brave and strong. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Uh, all right, Christy is here with the forecast. Uh, mm -hmm. Some more beautiful sunshine today. It just keeps coming. Yes, it sure does. So this is day nine of this big upper level ridge. One of the reasons why they weren't seeing any uh, waves there is because it's a stagnant pattern. You can see it just traps in the moisture. This is a shot from Samantha Falk. She was up in Whistler. A great example of that valley cloud. It's so cool. It almost looks like cotton balls just shoved in the valley there. Uh, so this pattern continues for the coastal regions. It has meant fog and there were a few areas that didn't break out of the fog today. And because of that stagnant pattern, we have this air quality advisory now. Duncan Cowichan Valley, Courtney and Smithers, all because of that stagnant pattern just trapping in the fine particulate matter and the concentration levels are getting to such uh, that they had to put out this air quality advisory and they are saying open burning uh, restriction in effect for the next three days because on Friday, everyone... 
this upper level ridge is finally going to break down and we are in for rain. So we've got three more days of dry weather before it starts to break down. So yes, there's the feature that's still the uh, dominant pattern. However, this little guy is going to move across our region. It's going to weaken as it does, but there are a few areas that do have a slight chance of showers this evening across Vancouver Island into the Sunshine Coast, potentially touching into Whistler and Squamish. And this is this evening and then potentially through the overnight period. But I'm going to push it forward. This is computer model showing you it really dries out as it makes its way in. So we will see some high-level cloud tomorrow, some mid-level cloud, very different from what we've seen in the last couple of days, but it won't disrupt things much at all. We'll still wake up to frost and, and fog, and then we'll just start to see that high-level cloud other, um, instead of the sunshine. North Coast periods of rain for you, continuing with Valley Cloud in Prince George, Quinell, down across all of these regions. So cold underneath that cloud, warm Warmth is higher up with that sunshine. And for the south coast, we will see the fog in through the morning period. But when that fog clears out, we will be left with some higher level clouds. So overcast skies generally for us tomorrow. And it'll be a little bit cooler with a high of six degrees. But then Wednesday and Thursday, we break out of the fog with lots of sunshine. But then, yes, that's the change. By the end of the week, we are in for rain, everyone. Happy birthday to Emily Baker and Leopold Spear. Congratulations to you both. And I can't get enough of these beautiful photos. Thank you to Michael Wig for sending us this one. Very nice. Thanks, Christy. All right. Island living has its quirks, as we know in this part of the world, and a video circulating on Facebook shows the charm of living on Salt Spring. <laughs> Devin Milner posting this video on Facebook of his friends taking their new piano to their cottage in Ganges Harbor. That's Nick Tomlinson tickling the ivories. <laughs> Will Sawyer piloting their homemade raft. Devin says everyone was pretty excited about their purchase. Waiting for the next cottage party, no doubt. It's going to be very musical. <laughs> good thing the sea wasn't rough. Uh, Squire's here now, and we've got something really special to show you. Uh, a tribute to that amazing David Bowie, Bing Crosby Christmas tradition song. First, we better remind you of what that was like. So take a look at this. This, of course, David Bowie and Bing Crosby doing Peace on Earth and Little Drummer Boy. It was filmed back on September 11th, 1977 for Crosby's Merry Old Christmas special. Bowie apparently agreeing to the collaboration because his mom loved Bing Crosby. Well, now there is a new version. Former NHL broadcaster Jim Robson on the right and son Rob Bowie. Bowie Robson record Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy to support Canuck Place Children's Hospice. Jim and Robert donating 100% of the proceeds from iTunes download sales of this recording to benefit Canuck Place Children's Hospice. They sound great, and I'm not sure if a lot of people knew Robson could sing like that. I didn't know Jim could sing at all, but he does a very good Bing Crosby, and his son is like spot-on yes. David Bowie impression. And, yeah, in Bowie. Europe you were saying... Yeah, he, lives in, he lives in Budapest, yeah, and he, he's brilliant. That's his job. He is a Bowie impersonator. Yeah. Well, there you go. Amazing. There you go. There you go. Thanks. He's me. all ready to go. I know. I had to check and see if I... I this is it, folks. I just didn't want to see it. That's what makeup's for. Okay, I know. That's why. Here we go. <laughs> 
Is Jason Voorhees hanging out in the Canucks dressing room? Because players are disappearing like characters in the Friday the 13th movies. Now it's Sven Berge. He's out four to six weeks with a broken jaw, which means two-thirds of what was the Canucks' best line for a while is gone. All that's left is Brock Besser. There the he stands. The, the lone survivor. The They'll put him with the Sedins in this game. All right, early on. I don't know what it is in first shots and Jacob Markstrom. They probably should start Anders Nilsson, then after the first shot and goal, put Markstrom in. He has problems with that first shot. Dmitry Kulikov, I don't know how this went in, but it went in. Wasn't really deflected. one nothing. Why is there smoke? one nothing for the Jets. Then, the Sedins with the kid. Rick Besser scores. 16th of the year for Brock Besser. Knows where to go. No one near him. 1-1. And then this. I told you about all the Canuck injuries. Look what happened here. Besser takes a shot off the leg. And for a brief moment, it looked like not him too. Gets off the ice, in pain, but he's okay. He came out in the second period. Canucks so not okay. End of the power play for the Jets and they score. Nice passing. Matthew Perot, 2-1. That actually is not technically a power play goal because the power play had ended. This is a power play goal. Rebound right to Nikolai Ehlers. 3-1 Jets after two periods. New Lions GM Ed Hervey has decided to keep receiver Manny Arsenault from becoming a free agent, which Arsenault was very happy with. He loves playing in Vancouver and did not want to leave. Jennings has time. Looking for Arsenault in the end zone. And he brings it down. The Manny show has been renewed for another year. And why not? Arsenault coming off consecutive 100 catches, 1,000-yard seasons. Only G. Roy Simon has more receptions in a Lions uniform. Manny's a go-to guy and then some. He'll make north of 200 grand next season, and the Lions believe he's worth every penny. And it's a BC Lion touchdown! Was it a main priority for you to get him signed? Yeah, exactly. It was one of those things where, uh, in, in discussions with Manny, prior to even the negotiations, you know, just wanted to have him understand exactly where we are as an organization and the expectation for him as a leader. Uh, we already know how spectacular of a player he is, what kind of impact he brings, but this contract is more about making sure that he brings a level of two higher leadership role as we go through the transition. So once we got that uh, cleared and understood, uh, it was a no-brainer to get him signed. We told you this would happen last week. It happened officially yesterday. The Whitecaps acquired veteran striker Kai Kamara in a trade with New England. Kamara has been one of the most consistent goal scorers in Major League Soccer over the last 10 years. He's a master of finding open spots in the box where a pass can come to. He's a, a big physical presence, um, scored lots of goals with his head, and you know, we get a lot of crosses into the box. From Hustler, and it goes towards Kai the other benefit uh, to him is I think we were one of the highest scoring teams from set plays last year, so just another uh, big body that other teams will need to worry about. One other thing about Kamara, he could be extra fun to watch because in the past he has had some of the most innovative goal-scoring celebrations in MLS. For example, when he played for Kansas City, he went all river dance after a goal. Check it out. There he is right there with his buddy doing some river dancing. Had the hats and everything. The killer. They loved him career. in KC. 
They'll love him in Vancouver if he scores goals. Well, there's a slow-mo celebration, too. Nice. Champions League matchups for the knockout round have been drawn. Man City and Basel make that. Sevilla goes against United. Chelsea gets Barcelona. That'll be tough. Liverpool and Porto. The other four matchups, Tottenham and Juventus, that'll be a big battle. Paris Saint-Germain against Real de Madrid, Munich and Besiktas, and Shakhtar and Roma. Well, no NFL discipline for this yesterday. Quentin Jefferson leaving the game, he's been thrown out. Someone throws something at him from the crowd in Jacksonville. He goes to a challenge, the fans, or at least yell at them, and then someone throws something else, right? And you don't want to get their security here. That's enough. Now he wants a piece. But the uh, officials and the Seahawks officials kept them from getting up in the crowd. There were other problems at the end of this game, but no suspensions will be handed out. Bronx Bombers just added another B-52, and it is loaded. Giancarlo Stanton, the AL MVP who hit 59 home runs last year with Miami, has officially become a New York Yankee. That means Stanton will play us alongside Aaron Judge, who hit 52 home runs this past season. It'll be like a home run derby every game for the Yankees. Oddly enough, the guy who's running the Marlins now is Yankee legend Derek Jeter, who traded him to New York because he says Miami can't afford his contract anymore. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Back to news for just a second because four, count them, four federal by-elections are underway tonight, including right here in B.C. Federal liberals hoping to steal a seat in South Surrey, White Rock. Our Catherine Urquhart is live with more on this. The polls, Catherine, are about to close. And as we mentioned, the Trudeau government made a concerted effort to steal this seat from the Tories. Indeed, Sophie, the Liberals are hoping to take the seat. And as you mentioned, the Prime Minister has been here several times campaigning for the Liberal candidate, Gordy Hogue. And he is in a tight battle for this seat with the Conservative candidate, and that is Carrie Lynn Finley. This, of course, was Diane Watts's riding. She had it as a Conservative and, of course, left to run for the leadership of the B.C. Liberal Party. Now here at Pacific Heights Elementary School, it has been busy throughout the afternoon and evening with a steady stream of people coming here to cast their ballots. And of course, they have just minutes left to do so. The polls close at 7 o'clock and we will be here and bring you all the latest results as those numbers come in. Back to you, Chris, Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Catherine. It is one of the most heartbreaking videos you'll ever see, and it's made Keaton Jones from Tennessee the face of bullying victims everywhere. Keaton asked his mom to pick him up for lunch because he was too afraid of bullies, and then she says he asked her to record him as he poured out his heart. Just out of curiosity, why do they bully? The pain on his face is almost unbearable to watch. Keaton Jones asking his mother why he's being bullied. Not okay. What did they say to you? They call me, they make fun of my nose. They call me ugly. They say I have no friends. The video was posted to his mother's Facebook page. In it, Jones describes having milk thrown on him and food thrown at him on top of all the insults. Hard. But it'll probably get better one day. Now, Keaton's mother's Facebook page details some of her son's problems. He was born with a cranial deformity and has had surgeries in the past. But in Friday's video, even overwhelmed by sadness, Keaton speaks to other victims of bullying. If you are made fun of, just don't. 
don't want to bother you. Just stay strong, I guess. First of all, Keaton, I just want to say you are a legend. Well, Justin Bieber is one of many celebrities to reach out to Keaton. The video has now been viewed more than 20 million times and Keaton flooded by friendship. Hey, Keaton, it's Delaney Walker, tight end for the Tennessee Titans. From sports to politics to some of the biggest names in Hollywood. I'm in front of Horace Maynard Middle School where... Keaton is now big news in Knoxville. The school board issued a statement today saying it does not tolerate bullying. But Keaton's mother is now coming under criticism online for things she's posted in the past and for publicizing her son's pain. She's now changed the privacy settings on her social media.